Have you noticed that men and women seem to think differently? Why are men so socially inept? And why are moms so bad at telling stories? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to a brand new edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. We have been on a hiatus uh, for a while, but that's been due to COVID, the elections, a lot going on, Hanukkah break, laziness. But we're back. We are back. Uh, this episode is kindly sponsored by the Capitol Hill Police, providing the security needed for all your events. So in this week's episode, we want to talk about the mind of the woman. In the episode about the woman in From Magazines, we spend a lot of time bashing the mind of the man. We now like to turn our attention to the mind of the woman. We're not going to bash, but we will observe certain things that seem to correlate very highly with the way Hazal describes the way women think versus men. Specifically, I'd like to focus on the phrase Nashim Daitan Kalas Alein, which is the phrase in the Gemara used to describe the way women think. And a lot of time it sounds from the Gemara like it's being derogatory, but I think we can explain this phrase in a way that's not derogatory, but just descriptive of the way the woman looks at the world as a general rule. And therefore, there are certain halachic and hashkafic ramifications to that idea. So in order to do this, we're going to look at two primary sources of information. Obviously, we're going to be looking at the Gemara in all these situations where it mentions this phrase, Nashim Daitan Kalasein, and looking at the context and seeing if we can find a, a unifying theme going throughout these. And we're going to be looking at the scientific literature surrounding the intellect and emotional capabilities of the woman and the man and how they differ and seeing exactly what Chazal was picking up on in their statements. Right, and it's amazing you're going to see through this episode how Chazal, 2,000 years ago, were accurately able to describe women and men in a way that modern science is only now discovering through the use of studies and brain analyzation and neuroimaging, neuroimaging, which is images of the brain. So we're going to see how Chazal were way ahead of their time, and, you know, people generally look at the Gemara and they go, oh, it was way behind time because look how misogynistic it was. Um, but if you really look at it and you really look at the science, you go, wait a minute. They weren't behind the time. They were ahead of the time. They knew exactly how men and women brains work. And therefore, they made their statements accord with that um, to accord with truth, obviously. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's going to be two main purposes of this podcast. People are always asking, you know, who cares? Who cares if a woman thinks differently? Who cares if a man thinks differently? Those people are never listeners. It's also true. <laughs> um, so the first thing is, first of all, if the Gemara is telling us something about women, obviously it's important for us to know. Uh, but there's also this, the purpose of this podcast is to come as a, a defense and a an, uh, rational explanation for concepts which are often misunderstood right. about Yiddishkeit. Now, one of the big things... Yeah, but hear, let me pause you right there. I wouldn't say it's apologetics. We're not coming to make something rational so that we can work it out so it works for you know the mind of the person who doesn't believe. We're coming to explain what we actually believe is the true meaning and understanding of these Gemaras, these Maimar Chazal, and we know, we have confidence that since it is the true understanding of Maimar Chazal, it is rational and it will work out. Right, right so here's a perfect example. Uh, the question of, well, is the Torah sexist? Is the Torah misogynistic? Um, and they point to these kind of phrases in the Gemara to prove it. So I think a, a better understanding of what, of what the reality is and then going back and looking at these phrases and seeing if they accurately reflect the reality, then it doesn't really matter if you think it's sexist. If that's the reality, then it's perfect, and it's it's what the Gemara should be telling us. So that's the first thing. And then 
another thing is by understanding the psychology of men and women, it'll help us better understand uh, not just these phrases, but also a bunch of areas of halacha, which there are, um, you know, major differentiation between men and women, such as women not being allowed to be adim, such as women not being allowed to be judges, uh, women having different mitzvahs. Uh, things like that. The, the woman not having the chiv to learn. And we're going to speak about all of these and each one, hopefully, if it's long enough, will get its own podcast. But here we're going to break down the basic understanding of the difference of male and female brain. Another you know, benefit of listening to this podcast is you'll end up in the doghouse a lot less because you'll understand that the way the woman is thinking, the way you're thinking is going to be a little bit different. And if it will help with your communication one with each other because a lot of the miscommunications between a husband and a wife – actually comes from the fact that men and women think and look at the world very, very differently, and they speak almost an entirely different language. So that's something also to pay attention, you know? So let's jump into the uh, the sources. So the first source we have is in Kedushin Pei. We have a Mishnah which tells us there's an Isser of Yichud, which is an Isser of of uh, being in solidarity. Solidarity? Or is that being together? Yes, solitude with a woman. Solitude. Being alone with a woman. <laughs> with a woman. And We do stand in solidarity with all women. <laughs> Respect all women. So the Mishnah states that a man is not able to be alone even with two women in the room with him, while a woman is allowed to be in a room with two men with her. Now, the obvious question is why, which is why the Gemara asks, what's the reason for the differentiation? And here we have the first instance of the answer, which is Nashim Daitan Kalasin. Nashim have, let's call it a weaker Das, a, a lighter Das, we're gonna we're gonna define what das means. Exactly. Right. We're gonna d- discuss extensively what das means and what this phrase means. But first, we have to figure out what does the phrase mean in context. So, Venusian Daitan Kalislan literally translates as the women's das. We're gonna leave it alone. Kalis is light on them. So Rashi over here comes and gives gives a little bit of explanation what the Gemara's answer is. So it says why meaning what's the connection between Daitan Kalis and being able to be alone with two men, but one man not being able to be alone with two women. So it says, because they're both easily seduced. So the Rashi is making a connection between Nashim, Daitan Kalislein, and seduction. That since women are easily seduced, then being alone with two women is problematic for the man because he can seduce both of them to do what he wants. Now the question might arise for a Jewish thought flow thinker that, wait a minute, didn't we say earlier... And isn't it known that men have a stronger desire for relations than women? And it's always at the forefront of their mind. So seemingly it would be easier to seduce two men than two women, as anybody who has tried it would attest. So putting putting aside the question of how many men you've tried to seduce in your life, the, the basic understanding is that seducing somebody is to do something kind of against what they want, right? They're not interested in you, and you're trying to seduce them to be interested in you. What we mentioned earlier was that men are much looser with who they're willing to be with, while women are much more selective, right? The reasons for this is kind of obvious. Biologically, women are only able to get pregnant once, while men are able to impregnate as many women as they want, once at a time. So, when we say here that a woman is easily easily able to get seduced, it means that if the woman is not interested in the man, the man would be able to convince these two women, convince them to do something that they don't want to do. The purpose of yichud... The whole Isser of Yichud, the Isser of being secluded with a man, is that, or a man being secluded with a woman, is not that, oh, if you're secluded, you're going to do what you want to do. It's that you might be convinced to do something you don't really want to do. 
Right. In other words, I don't want to, uh, you know, go against. I, I'm, I'm married, so I don't want to cheat on my wife. But if I'm in a room with a woman, I might go against my nature. So, woman, to convince her to go against her nature is easier than a man. Obviously, a man is much more likely to be uh, uh, convinced to do illicit behavior, but not seduced in terms of convincing him to do something he doesn't want to do. He already wants to do it. That's why it's easier. If he didn't want to do it earlier, it would be harder to seduce him than the woman. Okay, so that's one source. The next source is from the Gemara Shabbos, Daf Lamed Gimel Lamed Beis. Okay, so it's talking about the story of Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, the Log Bimer story. Everybody knows this story. Uh, it actually has nothing to do with the date Log Bimer. That's just when Reb Shimon Bar Yochai died. But the story is about Reb Shimon Bar Yochai hiding in the cave. Okay, now Reb Shimon Bar Yochai was chased away by the Romans, and first, little known, he hid in a base medrash, and his wife used to bring him food every day. When the decree against him intensified and they were upping the effort to catch him, he said to his son, we have to go hide somewhere else, somewhere where our wife doesn't know, because if they catch her, they'll torture her and she'll give up the information. Again, here's that catchphrase, kinashim daitan kalas. So again, you're seeing this phrase in a sense of convincing. She doesn't want to give up that information, obviously. She doesn't want to give up her shimbari chai. She doesn't want to give up the hiding place. Yet, through external coercion, we're concerned she would give it up easier than a man because he said, Nashim Daitan Kala, right? So, by the case of Yichud, the coercion perhaps was nice words, fancy words, a wink. Here, we're talking about torture, yet it uses that same term, Nashim Daitan Kalas, to refer to both situations. So, what's interesting is they've actually they've done studies as to who can take more pain, men or women. So women are much worse at taking strong pains, but they're actually much better at taking long-lasting uh, bothers. Like dealing with their husband. <laughs> but already we're seeing a theme here, which is that the Nashim Daitan Kalas, when the Gemara brings it in, it means that they're able to be coerced, convinced, to do something which they're not interested in. The first case, it was have relations with a guy. And in the second case, it was give up their husband's whereabouts. So I think there's another source that very nicely correlates with this idea we're developing, which is the Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer. Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer is a medrash, you know, a set of exegesis, which is uh, loosely translates as after the death of Yashka. Um, but it's in Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer 13. Uh, and it says that the Nachash picked Chava to pick on. Everybody knows this story, right? The snake, Garden of Eden, you know what I'm talking yeah, I think, about. I think we know what we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, first story in the Chumash. So the... The snake says to himself, I can go to the man and try to get him, but he's not going to listen to me because men don't listen to anybody. But I can go to the woman, and women listen to everybody. That's literally what he said. I didn't say it. The snake said it because women will listen to anything. Um, and then he brings a pasuk that's kind of disparaging towards woman. But anyways, women listen to everybody. So, again, another source that seems to say that a woman could be influenced easier than a man externally. So we saw... Yichud, seduction, we saw torture, and now we're just seeing a convincing argument to eat from the forbidden fruit. This one's my personal favorite. Um, it's actually not mentioned explicitly in the Gemara, but it's hinted to in Rashi, and the story is well known. It's about the uh, the, the women's right movement leader, uh, Bruria, the wife of a mayor. So she was actually also bothered, like many of us nowadays are, by the phrase, Nashim Daitan Kalasin. And she said, what do you mean, Nashim Daitan Kalasin? Um, I learned Gemara. I learn as much as anybody else. I've had, this, as, I've had this conversation before. <laughs> I'm as smart as any anybody. Uh, you know, there's, th that phrase doesn't apply to me. 
So Rameer set up a test where he sent his Talmud, he sent one of his students to seduce her, and the student succeeded. I don't know to what extent he succeeded. Uh, presumably they didn't actually do anything else there. But when she realized that it was all a test and she had gotten seduced and her whole her whole uh, argument was so wrong, she actually committed suicide. So much for women not being emotional. <laughs> right? <laughs> suicide is not a laughing matter. Now, obviously, Buria was a, was a big sadekis. And I assume the story was just coming to point out that even even the greatest of women is able to fall into this uh, trap, so to speak. But it's it's still the story very nicely represents this point. But we were more making fun of the uh, characterization of Bruria as the bastion of women's rights and woman expression because he, she's generally found in the uh, blogosphere of of modern Jewish feminists. So we just wanted to, which uh, is very ironic, being as the way the Gemara portrays her is exactly the opposite. That no matter how great the woman is, still they'll fall into these biological um, categories. So up till now, we've been focusing on, on Das, which we said was called by woman. But there's other concept of Bina Yisera, that they have an extra level of Bina. And right? that doesn't Be- mean they got another subscription to Bina Magazine. Ugh. I'm so mad. <laughs> Just keep it going. Okay, okay so there's Gemara Nida, Mehmet Bez, which says, it quotes from a Pasuk, and it basically learns out from the Pasuk, Melamed, it teaches us, that Hashem placed in a woman a greater level or an additional level of Bina, more so than by a man. So in order to understand Nashim Dachin Kalas and Bina Yaser, we have to understand exactly what Das and exactly what Bina is. Right, because seemingly Das and Bina are both referring to the intellect. So how could they be Das Kal, but Bina Yasera? Must be Bina and Das are talking about two very different aspects of thinking. And I think we'll see that women might have this second aspect in a lot more acute way than a man. So in Jewish literature, we find there's three levels of the intellect, right? There's Chachma, Bina, and Das, and then there's seven levels of, of the emotions. Chazik, uh, and Tfaris are the first three, and those are the most most known. But we're going to stay at the cerebral level. Right. So to keep it simple, Chachma is basically that initial flash of the idea. Bina is taking that idea and breaking it up into all its parts, making sure you have every detail covered. Das is taking that idea and kind of connecting it to the emotions. So Das is the gateway between Bina and the emotions. So let me just give you a quick example just so you're on the same page with us. So let's say you're trying to think of how best to uh, reduce crashes on the highway, right? So you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it, and suddenly you have a flash. Oh, this idea might work. Maybe uh, some sort of ingenuity in the seatbelts or a speed limit. But you don't have everything worked out. You don't have the exact number worked out. You don't know how tight the seatbelt be. You just know in this direction, here's where the answer is. It's like an intuition. Then you start fleshing it out. Well, what speed? Uh, uh, how much weight does there have to be? You know, all these different questions that somebody who would know what he's talking about would ask. I don't. So that's the Bina side. The details, making sure it works, the categories, fleshing the idea fully out. And obviously there's different levels of this Bina, but that's the basic idea. Then comes Das. Das makes you care. So this is all good in theory, but how do I make myself care enough to go out and produce this idea? That's where Das comes in. So I'll give you a great example of where Das is not in high function. So everybody understands that people are starving in Haiti, right? Intellectually, we understand that it would be good to give up my five bucks to feed a family for eight years, right? Um, But I don't have any Das for it. Like, it just doesn't hit my emotions, Nobody's watching it and then gets aroused to actually send those five bucks or actually send a hundred bucks. You could feed a, I think you can feed a whole village for, for a century on a hundred bucks, but, but nobody actually does that. 
I mean, not many people actually do that, right? So the DOS is, is, doesn't work so well over there. So now is the interesting part for, uh, for many of you. This is going to be the science portion where we're going to match up the science with what Chazal were talking about. So before we start, we need a few preliminary remarks on a few different topics. So the first one, genotypes versus phenotypes. So genotypes, coming from the word genetics... I thought is, genotype was like a Italian. It's like a genotype, you know. Mm. A gene knows pizza. Okay, maybe we'll start with phenotypes. Um, so a phenotype is basically a description of a character trait that, uh, let's say, a man or a woman possess. Uh, so let's say phenotypically you can say that women are more likely to, uh, I don't know... Um, Cry at a moment's notice. Well, let's say that... <laughs> yeah, okay. They're better, they're better, they have better people skills okay. than men. So it's clear they have better people skills. That's a phenotype because we can kind of see have the way they're acting. Then a genotype is when we look at the genetics and see, well, what differences is there between a man and woman genetically? Now, if we can match up the genotype with the phenotype, then you can, you can correlate or you can say that the phenotype is actually caused by the genotype. In other words, the reason women are better with people than men is because something is happening with their genetics, something's happening in their brain. As opposed to if the genotype is in no way predictive of the phenotype, then it's probably a social issue. So in all... What do you mean these... by that? Let's flesh that out. Meaning, if if we don't see any inherent differences between men and women, then there's more to assume that a human, a man and a woman is a blank slate, and then things have been externally thrust upon them to cause their actions to be a certain way, because there's nothing inherently different, there has to be something externally different. Right, and that's something that you always have to balance and you always have to weigh whenever you're dealing with social issues, is what is causing this nature. Nature versus nurture is the terms you guys have probably heard the most. Right. right? Is this caused by the society and by the parents and by everything that they've gone through in their life, or is it caused by their inherent nature? So, so a lot of the studies that are really good at showing that it's a nature difference between men and women is their cross-national studies. So that means it goes to, through different nations. Uh, so regardless of how egalitarian the nation is, so what their uh, relationship or what their stigma of men and women are in their society, if the differences remain or even extend, no matter where they hold on egalitarian, like Saudi Arabia, has the same many men and women differences in phenotype as Norway, where you can't even tell what the, what a man is and what a woman is, then you're starting to see that obviously it can't be a social stigma because you're talking about two radically different uh, social environments for a woman and a man to develop. So then it must be more genotypical. And again, there's a lot they don't know about genes and how they relate to, to, to fiends, you know, how they relate <laughs> to actions. Uh, so even if they don't find it yet, you can start to see the phenotypical differences as being more nature than nurture. Right. But and actually, a, a stronger way of demonstrating, without even looking at the genetics, a stronger way of, of demonstrating that it's a genotype as opposed to a phenotype is actually looking at the, um, at least in men and women things, is that if you look at men or women who were raised as the opposite gender because of some form of, of health issue where they thought that it was a boy and it was actually a girl or vice versa, so that you can see whether those kind of people also exhibit the the gender that they actually are or the one that they're raised as. So that'll be, unfortunately, there's, or fortunately, really, there's not a lot of, of, uh, of case studies on that. There's not a big that. sample size on, but, but let me just flesh out what that study is. So they'll take a kid who um, was born with, let's say, his, his uh, genitalia are not showing, so they assume he's a girl, 
um, and they raise him as a girl, so they give all the social environment of a girl, and yet he just consistently acts like a boy, like a stereotypical boy, right? He likes guns, he's more aggressive, he's violent, we're going to see all the things kind of that is more stereotypical of a man, um, and then that shows you that it's not a social thing, it's probably a nature thing, because this guy was actually a boy. So now, there is another aspect, which is that all these studies go by average, right? Not all, right? So when you say, like, men are better at social skills, personal skills, sorry, women are better at personal skills, it doesn't mean every woman is better than every man. It means on average, if you take a large group of men or a large group of women, the woman, on average, will tend to score higher on tests involving personal skills, right? So one of the great ways to figure this out, or phrase the question is, how, if I had to guess if this person who is better at a personal skill is a male or female, let's say I didn't know if they're male or female, I just saw the result on the test, and I had to guess if it was male or female, how many times would I be correct that it's male versus female would correlate to the difference in the average in the score results between men and women. So let's say, let's say women on average score 90 on a test, and women, uh, men on average score 80 on a personal skills test. So if I see the score 90, and I guess woman, I'll be right more times than if a guy only guesses men. Another important difference between somebody who's on average better is almost always, almost always, the group that is on average better will be much better at extremes. So let's take math skills, right? So men and women on average are pretty similar in math. Men have a slight edge. But if you go to the extremes of math, men are 5, 10, 15 times more likely to be at the extreme extreme and the more extreme you get the more likely it is to be men and that that's in most things men will have the extremes the advantages at extremes anything that they're better at in average um if so we're not talking about intellectual things if you want to just something that's easier for for the average person to comprehend if you think about heights right so men and women heights so men are taller than women on average obviously you have some women who are taller than some men but on average if you have two people and you know one of them's taller than the other the one who's taller is more likely to be a boy than the other one or if you have a boy and a girl and you guess that the boy's taller, you're probably going to be right. Now, when you head to seven feet tall, when you head to seven feet tall, you're almost going to find no woman and all men. Even though, on the average, the difference is like three inches in total height, on average height. But when you get to the extremes, you're not going to find woman anymore. So they also done this with IQ. On IQ levels, men and women tend to be, on average, the same. But when you get to the extremes, it's all men. The women just tend to be very in the middle. So when you get to incredibly well, smart also, or incredibly stupid, or incredibly stupid yeah. those are men. Okay, so now that we got that out of the way, I think we can get started on some of the information, which is going to be crucial in understanding the intellect of the woman being described with these phrases, Nushim Daitankalas and Biniasera. So you may have heard of this delineation between men and women, that women are more involved in people while men are more involved in things. So this shows up from the time that there are babies, where baby female babies will be more uh, likely to maintain eye contact, will be... Uh, easier, only be able to inter be entertained through a person's face as opposed to a toy, while the baby boys are more easily distracted by toys and objects. Uh, this continues on through schooling, where women have better uh, social skills, they have better language skills, which is a social skill, while men are better at uh, sports, and they like toys, and they want, even in the toy choices, right? Girls like toys, which are Barbies, they like dolls, people, right, people toys while men just want cars or whatever. And this stays... They actually tried once switching it around, and uh, they did a study where they gave girls uh, guns or, or masculine toys like trucks, and they gave boys uh, dollhouses. And what the boys did is they just turned the dollhouses into 
you know, they had the the dolls jumping off the roof of the house. They're throwing the dolls at each other. They're using the do- uh, the dolls as guns, and the girls were, you know, you know, uh, cuddling the truck, you know, so to speak. So, <laughs> yeah, and this this continues on into the, their uh, vocational choices, right? So the jobs they choose, women are more likely to choose jobs which involve themselves with people. So you'll have female teachers, you'll have nurses, you'll have. Uh, things like that, while men are going to want to be dealing with objects more. Now, obviously, again, as we explained before, this is average. There are some men who like dealing with humans and some girls who like dealing with things more than humans, but this is on average how it works. So the brain is actually divided into two hemispheres, the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. Uh, The right hemisphere is responsible, primarily responsible, for what's known as visuospatial activity. So visuospatial is the ability to visualize things that are not in front of you. Right. So one of the reasons why there's a stereotype women are bad at driving and can't follow directions is because actually women have a harder time following abstract directions and also measuring the space between the car and the side of the road or the car and another car. They also have trouble um, rotating 3D objects mentally. I mean, if it's not actually rotating, but like uh, those tests where it says if you tip the bottle this much, how much would the liquid, like what would the angle of the liquid be? So men tend to perform well, way better at those tests. Um, so that's with the visuospatial activity. The left hemisphere is responsible for language. Now, throughout testing, women consistently score better on language type questions. So when they say like men and women score similar on SAT tests or on um, or on IQ tests, they do score, the final score is very similar on average, but the way they get there is very, very different. So men do much better visuospatial activity, women do much better at, at questions that involve language. So while it's true that the right and left hemisphere are responsible for two separate things, there's a slight difference between the man's brain and the woman's brain in this area as well. It's a concept called lateralization, which is the relative localization of functions by the hemisphere. So again, as we mentioned, the hemispheres have certain functions. Uh, the right one is more... Uh, visuospatial, while the left one is more involved in languages, but there's obviously some overlap now. So the woman's overlap is much more than with the man's overlap. In other words, the women have, even though the right side is more visuospatial, both sides have a lot of visuospatial. Right. While the left side is more language, both sides have a lot. While the men is like, no, it's almost completely the left side is language and the right side is visuospatial. Now, this gets very interesting when you have injuries, or this becomes very evident, when you have an injury to a certain side of the brain. So... If a man gets injured on one side of the brain, that function of that hemisphere will be severely impaired because that's basically the only part of the brain that's dealing with it. Whereas by a woman, it doesn't matter where she gets injured, she'll lose an aspect of either her language or visuospatial. Right, and also they show much quicker signs of recovery because they have both aspects. So if the left side of the brain gets damaged, the right side of the brain can pick up the pace. Fascinatingly enough, the woman not only is both sides of the brain responsible for both visuospatial activity and language there's something called the corpus callosum and i guarantee you i'm mispronouncing that but it's the part of the brain that is responsible for communication between the hemispheres and communication between the different functions of the brain the woman's corpus callosum is on average thicker means there's more connection points in the woman's brain between the various aspects and the man's brain the man's brain is much more localized so that's why you have the absent professor is tends to be a man much more than the woman because again a man can be lost in his thoughts to the point where he's not connected to any other part of his brain a woman has less of that ability because of how of how connected the different parts of her brain are yeah to put in the words of charles murray the female brain is structurally optimized for communicating between hemispheres while the male brain is structurally optimized for communication within hemispheres 
which is exactly what you were just saying. Now, here's where it gets very, very interesting, is that woman's memories are primarily located on the left side of the brain, which is the side of the brain which is dealing with languages, but is also where the left amygdala is, and the amygdala is responsible for their emotional, uh, let's say... Receptors. Receptors are, are, are mostly there, which implies that the woman's memories are going to be more affected by their emotional responses. And again, as we said, their emotional and intellectual aspects of the brain, there's a lot of communication going between them, and both are impacting them more than it would with a man. Right, where the man, his memory side is actually on the right side of his brain, while, again, the emotional arousal side is on the left side of the brain. So there's not so much. And the thing that connects them is weaker and, and, and smaller, on average, than the, man, than the woman's. And therefore, again, there's not going to be so much communication and so much confusion between emotions and memory. And listen, let me just extent. give one, one last piece of scientific information, and then I, can, I think we can circle back to, to the Gemara phraseology. So... In terms of memory, who has a better memory, men or women? It's a common debate among spouses. But the woman has a better memory for details of an event. Right. But not important details. The men have a much better memory when it comes to what they call the gist of the story. I think it's the gist. But Is it the gist? I think it's the gist. It's like a gif-gif kind of thing. Just keep going. So the gist, of the, the gist of the story? The gist of the story. The main aspect of the story, men are better at remembering. So you can hear the woman would be like, no, I remember. It was, it was, it was in a boat. It was... The Thursday. boat was blue, but they'll completely miss the fact that the, the person died on that day. My mom will start a story. You'll get so much information about everybody in the story, but you won't get the point of the story. It's no offense to my mom. She's a great storyteller. But you get, I mean, you'll get the woman's hair color, what shoes she was wearing, but you're not going to get what actually happened. And I don't think the this man is just will us. just say, what's up? I'll just tell you what happened. Skip out on all the details. I mean, it's a common stereotype, which basically holds true with... Any of my friends who've spoken about their mom telling stories is like, when the mom tells a story, you're probably going to get the main part of the story messed up, but there's going to be a ton of details, which the men don't remember. Right. So that's, again, remembering the gist versus all the details. And what's causing that, them to remember all the details, is because for a woman, even small events are much more emotional and emotionally reactive in the woman than in the man, and therefore they remember it. So again, it's also... It's also been proven that women's emotional receptors show much stronger reaction to stimuli than men's. Just to clarify, when we talk about like um, activating certain parts of the brain, so the way they are able to figure this out is just by basically measuring the amount of blood flow that goes to certain parts of the brain. They can't. There's no actual lights popping up in certain parts of the brain. It's just if there's more blood flow, then we assume that that part of the brain is activated. Um, it's obviously not 100% correct, but it's, it's usually pretty accurate in predicting which parts of the brain are being used. Okay, so let's circle back to our definition of Nashim Daitin Kalis, right? So we said that Das is the connection piece between the intellect and the emotion. If we divide the brain into visuospatial activity and language, or emotion and memory, and use that split, then we see perfectly how this statement of Chazal is matched in science. Women, on average, tend to have the language aspects of the brain and the visuospatial aspects of the brain much more connected. They have the memory aspects of the brain and the emotional aspects of the brain much more connected than the man. So if we circle back to our text, right, where we got this information, Nashim Daitin Kalasain, we see how it works out. A woman is easily, sedu easily seduced because the parts of her brain that are responsible for emotions is more widely connected with the parts of the brain is responsible for rational or cognitive thinking. So the way you seduce somebody is you trick them into thinking something that's incorrect 
based on playing on emotion. So, you, oh, you're so pretty or whatever. We don't have to get into, you know, the art of seduction. But there are ways to do it where you can confuse a person and make them do something that's not so rational. This is more common in the woman than in the man based on the connection between the emotion and the cognitive or memory aspects of the woman's brain. So it might sound a little bit complicated, but it, it, it's very simple. Das, as explained in, in Hasidus, as explained in Kabbalah, as explained throughout Jewish literature, is a connection, again, between the intellect and the emotions. When we say that the a proper connection between the intellect and the emotions is that the intellect births the emotions. The intellect gives way to the emotions. In other words, I have an intellect, and that's going to persuade my emotions to act a certain way. If that connection is weak, and the woman happens to be strong, there's too much connection, which ends up being a weak system, because the system properly is that, the again, the intellect is on top, and the emotions get influenced by the intellect. By the woman, it's all a mishkabal. The brain is too connected, the intellect, the emotions, it's all getting mushed together. On average, again, there are men who think like this, there are women who think more like men, but on average, these are the differences. Now, I want to point out one more thing, which is it's not necessarily a bad thing. So the phrase nashim daiten kalis means the das is kal. Kal means light. It doesn't hold back things. But that goes both ways. That means the intellect affects emotions, and the emotions affect the intellect much more by a woman. So if you've ever been listening to a share with your wife... Um, or your mother, maybe she was so excited about a share to, sh- to share with you, right? And, like, you're just – it's just not hitting you. And she's, like, all excited. She's, like, all into it. And the reason is because it's much easier for them to trigger their emotions both ways. The DAS is the bridge point between the intellect and the emotion. They can bridge that much easier than men. Sorry, I hate, I hate doing this, but when people say that – oh, the Gemara says Nushim Dachten Kalasane, it means they're saying that women are stupid. The story, which is, like, the epitome of the Nushim Dachten Kalas, which is Bruria, who is this – brilliant woman like obviously brilliant from the gemara she's brilliant numerous stories in the gemara show her as being incredibly knowledgeable when she, she the very phrase that she was arguing against which was nashim datankalas if that meant women are stupid then the way for a mayor to prove it wrong would not be to get her seduced right that has nothing to do with your intellect right nashim datankalas does not have to do with how smart or silly you are now again being unable to think in a purely 100% rational manner will affect your conclusions, but not because you're not smart. It's just because other factors outside of intelligence are playing into your conclusions, such as emotions. And emotions can be accurate or inaccurate and therefore might not play into the proper conclusion. So what is Bina Yasera? So Das, again, is a connection between the intellect and the emotion. What is Bina Yasera? What does it mean they have an extra level of Bina? So as we said before, Bina is the ability to take that, that idea and and break it up into its details. Concretize it. Concretize it. Be very detail-oriented. So this is something I think we find uh, in our experience, that that your wife is much more uh, uh, task-oriented. She's much more practical. She's able to multitask much easier. Um, so again, also we pointed out scientifically they have much better memories for details. So Bina, again, is in the details. They have a Bina Sarah. They're more focused on the details. They're also more practical. They know how to get things done quicker. Right, men mess things up, and then the woman comes in. Oh, no, you just do it like this, you know. So, so I think that's all pina sera, right. and that's the what practicality. Chachmas nashim bansabesa, that the wisdom of woman, which is not their das, it's their, it's their bina. That's what's able to build the house. Is being detail oriented, able to raise the kids, focus on everything, right. even it, having your emotions, even the very chisaran, the very. Uh, deficiency that they have in terms of abstract thinking where their emotions get too involved in their thinking, that's actually very good for being able to raise a kid. You need that emotional aspect because kids also are very emotional creatures. Right. So again, so uh, also empathy. There's a lot of positive aspects of this Nashim Daitin Kalasane. We're just coming to point out what it is. We're not making a moral judgment of its value. It's obviously we're just pointing out what it is. So we think, again, Bini Sarah 
is the ability to be detail-oriented, to have much more details playing out, to be much more involved in the details. And datis kalasane means the emotions trigger the intellect, and the intellect triggers the emotions in a very easy manner. Now, there's a lot more to say on this topic, which is why we're going to have a couple more episodes where we get more into detail into why women can't be judges, witnesses, witnesses, is what why they shouldn't learn, of. why they don't have a chiv to learn Torah. We're going to use these ideas and build on them and explain in every particular Allah and mitzvah. But today, well, not we, every particular, but or, or the ones that, you know, the big ones, the controversial ones. But today we set the groundwork for why that is. But that concludes this week's episode of Jewish Thought Flow. We will be back. We won't take a hiatus anymore. You will get our content. Don't worry. I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow.